Hey, welcome back to the podcast, Learning to Serve. I'm Krista Wallace. This is part two of our interview with Ron Berger. In today's episode, Ron answers so many great questions about what is crew? What is the structure of crew? Why would we use it and how do we get started? So today's a really great podcast. And today we have two interviewers. We have Stephen Levy and we have Sarah Espinosa. They interview Ron Berger, and Ron is the Senior Advisor for Teaching and Learning with EL Education. And he's also one of the authors of the new book, We Are Crew. So be sure to check the show notes. There's going to be a link to, to his book, but there's also a link to a video that we reference that's really powerful that you'll want to watch. It's about brave and, and honest conversations through crew. All right, let's go. Hey folks, and welcome to Learning to Serve, the podcast that explores deeper learning in Christian schools. I'm your host, Krista Wallace. Let's dive in. Well, welcome back, Stephen. I think yes, we're- I think we're ready to go. Um, and thank you for your questions, uh, terrific questions. Um, and so um, I'll share some of them with Ron, and we'll hear how he has to respond. So first, Ron. Um, People wonder, like, like, how do you find time to do this crew? Our schedules are already so full. We're already so busy. Um, what has to give in order for you to, to schedule time for crew? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. I mean, first, I want to remind us all that crew is, is two things, right? It's a structure of crew, the crew meetings for students, but it's also the spirit and culture of your building. Um, to be honest, both of those can be hard to carve out time for. But as Christian schools, I feel like making sure there's time for the entire staff to work together and work on their own culture and their own spirit is is really important to schedule, um, both before school opens every year and all during the year as well. I, I think there's there's no substitute for having time away from direct service of kids for, for faculty and staff to be together and remind themselves of their norms and their mission and their, their shared values, um, and especially in a Christian school, because the, the, the shared faith is what brings people together. Um, for the structure of crew, I think it's a very different question whether it's elementary or whether it's secondary. So in an elementary setting, most schools that use a crew structure base it on the, the morning meeting structure classroom has has um, done so such a great job of describing, which is in in this, the elementary schools that use crew, every day begins with a morning meeting. Every kid in the class in that elementary class sitting on the floor in a circle or sitting on chairs in a circle uh, with their teachers. And that crew meeting is anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes of time together. Those elementary classrooms also often close the day with a crew meeting, a closing crew, which might be a 10 minute reminding kids of all the things that are important to remind each other or reflecting on the day or giving affirmations and apologies from the day. Um, That could be anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes also. And then for issues or important announcements or conflict resolution, there could also be a crew meeting during the day. But when you're an elementary teacher, as you were, Stephen, you have that power to sort of pull your class together when you need to. Very different on a secondary level, because on a secondary level, if there's multiple teachers working with a group of kids, four teachers, eight teachers, 
you have to build in a period for crew every day. And there's no one right way to do that. Some of the schools that we work with that use a crew structure, an advisory crew structure, have that as the opening of the day. And they feel like when kids come in, they're 30 or 40 minutes in their crew, and it's the right way to begin the day. Other schools feel like it's actually better at the end of the day because you can sort of reflect on the day, reflect on reminding us to, to leave the school with our values, with our, our intentions to do good work in the, in the afternoon and evening, to do our homework, to, and it's a good closure. Um, some do it around lunch, like kids. some kids are in crew, other kids are in lunch, and the, that, that's the way they help with their staffing issues. So there's not a right or wrong, but we would say that crew sh those advisory crew meetings should happen almost every day. Some schools, they are every day. Some schools, they're most uh, every day. And, um, and that they should be a full period long, 30, 40, 50 minutes. They shouldn't be 10 minutes. So it is a, an, an important intentional process to carve out the time in a secondary schedule for that. But I think the, the payoffs are so great that even if parents say, well, you should be focused on academics all day long, uh, you need to say, we do focus on academics during crew, and we focus on spirit, and we focus on character, and we focus on all these things. If we expect all kids to succeed, we need this time. Hmm. How do you, uh, as part of the structure, how do you manage to, to form uh, small groups and still have an adult with each of those uh, crews? Um, great question. And uh, there was a question by David Hoffner, um, in the, the chat right now of like, what if you're in high school is twice a week enough? I, I don't think it's a binary answer, David. I don't think it's um, twice, th there's no exact cut point. But if I were working with your school and you were doing crew twice a week, I'd be so happy and excited that you're doing it. And I would say you might wanna consider doing it three times a week or four. I, I think you'd get more benefit from three or four times a week than twice. But I think twice is way better than not at all or once. So um, there's not a, a one or the other here. But I worked with a school, uh, Stephen and I worked with a school in Maine, King Middle School that was doing crew once or twice a week. And they, in the last year, they decided we're going to do it every day because they needed to really lift their culture. And now that it's COVID, they're doing it three times a day. Because um, they they're often virtual and they feel like we have to get our kids together and so they start the day with crew they have a midday crew and then they have an end of the day crew, so I wouldn't I'd say twice a week is great but more the better and if you could up that that would even be better, so Stephen how do you staff crew at a secondary level at an elementary level it's easy right because you have one or two teachers for a group of kids, they are the crew leaders, at a secondary level. If you want to have 12 kids to a crew, where do you get all those extra teachers? Well, in the schools that use a crew structure, they pull in other people than the regular subject area teachers to be crew leaders. So the school nurse, the school psychologist, the assistant principal, the, the literacy coach, the ELL teacher, the special education teachers, they are crew leaders as well. In some buildings, the principal, the assistant principal are crew leaders. And in some buildings, the custodian is the crew leader too. Like, in some buildings, is all hands on deck. Everyone should be watching over kids together. So um, it, it pulls in a broader group of staff. And in a ways, it's great because it builds connections between all those other people on the staff and a group of kids that they have oversight over. And in many schools, on a secondary level, that oversight is for more than one year. 
So many of our middle schools will have the same crew leader for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and perhaps the same crew leader for ninth through 12th grade. Doesn't have to be that way, you could change every year, but many schools keep the same crew leader for multiple years on the same crews so that you get a family that you stay with. Thanks, Ron. What, what do you do during crew? Is there a curriculum that's written out? Are there activities that teachers pick and choose from? Do they design their own? How, where does the curriculum come from? Sure, um, and I just want to give a shout out. I'm seeing Jamie Osborne, a secondary teacher, said during COVID we implemented a crew program for 20 minutes every day, and it gave a place where you could really check in on kids. And um, Jamie, I just want to say, terrific! I'm so glad to see that because especially during COVID, we really need to be checking in on how kids are doing. So for curriculum. Stephen, we made a choice at EL not to create a standard crew curriculum for every school because we feel like schools have all different needs. They're in different contexts and they often have so many different pressures in that they have to address. But what we've done is to create guides for if you're creating a crew curriculum, here are the kind of suggestions we'd have. So we have a book on that. I apologize our book isn't free because we had to publish it. But in addition to the published book, there we have an online toolkit that if you go to the place where on our website, eleducation.org website, and you look up We Are Crew, you can go to the website where you can purchase the book, and it has a link to the online toolkit where everything is open and free. And in that online toolkit, we have crew curricula from many different schools, including a Christian school in Denver. And so uh, each school creates its own crew curriculum to match what its needs are. Sometimes that crew curriculum includes part of their faith-based education. Sometimes that crew curriculum includes an SEL program, like Second Step or Ruler or the Castle program, and it, that's a part of their crew agenda. Some some schools create case studies that every year in, in eighth grade you do this to case study, in ninth grade you do this case study, in 10th grade you do this case study, things around equity or social justice or democracy or faith. And also important to recognize that crew is the place when incidents happen in the world, in the school, in kids' lives, crew is a place to have the hard conversations about those incidents so you can't stick religiously, so to speak, um, with a, an existing curriculum. You have to be willing to let go of that curriculum when something important happens and you feel like we need to have a conversation today. This can't be what the curriculum says we need to do. I just wanted to jump in real quick because we'd had a uh, something on the Q&A from earlier that I think applies here. Lindy Niels was asking from their table discussion, they were curious about how to maintain a crew culture year to year with student turnaround. And I'm sure that is um, something that comes from some of that some of the curriculum suggestions as well, but is there anything in particular that you can think of, Ron, um, that would serve as an orienting kind of practice for new students as they come into the crew culture? Well, if there's, I mean, it depends on what the issues with student turnover are in that case. So if you're in a school that serves a substantial population of migrant children or homeless children or transient children, some schools have tremendous amounts of turnover and it's really hard to keep the school culture going between those. Um, if, if it's just a little bit of turnover each uh, year, then, uh, and new kids coming in and then kids moving in, then I think it, what's really important is to filter, sort of feather kids into existing crews 
so that kids have an orientation group, so that a, a crew of a dozen might have two new kids to the building, but that crew becomes their family that orients them to the culture of the building. And so, especially if that crew can can sustain itself for more than one year, um, if, if Stephen and I enter in ninth grade and we're in that same crew in 11th grade, it's kind of a nice thing to get two new kids who've moved to town to join our crew, to, to add something new to our crew, and for us to feel like our job is to make sure they're welcome here and honored and valued here. Ron, um, you were talking before about sometimes there are difficult issues that need to be um, taken up and discussed in crew. Um, are there intentional foundational practices to create a safe space for for kids to be able to have those hard conversations about race, around um, LGBTQ, around mental health? Um, how, how, you can't just have them talk about these things. What do you do to, to create a safe place for that? Um, there were, Stephen, there, you and I looked at the questions that came from breakout groups, and a number of different groups had that question about how do you have conversations around really hard topics in a safe way? And I think it's a really important uh, question because there's not an easy answer to it. I'll do my best to address it verbally now. And then when, when you and I close today, Stephen, I want to show a video. We have a video particularly around courageous conversations in crew. So for those people who'd like to stay in, we have an eight minute video where you can watch that in action. Um, my response to that is the, the first important thing is to remember that there needs to be a foundation of trust in the building for students and faculty to feel safe being open in a small group. I'll be totally honest, I went to public schools my whole life. I never ever would have talked about something vulnerable or tricky in my schools. Like I just kept that inside. There was absolutely not a safe place in my schools to have hard conversations about gender identity, about racial identity, about racism, about, you know, issues in my mental health, my physical health, issues of faith. Like we just didn't talk, you hit all that. If we expect schools to be safe for hard conversations where kids or teachers are truly vulnerable, the first thing we have to make sure is that the school itself has a foundation of trust by having shared character values that everyone in the school owns, the values of what we respect and believe in this school. Here are our five pillars of character. Here are our five promises. Here are the things from our identity as a school, from our faith that we are all going to commit to, and that those live in the day. Like We talk about those, respect, responsibility, compassion, courage whatever those foundational pillars are for your building, you think about them and talk about them every day. Um, and then from those, you build norms around the kinds of language and ways we treat each other in this building. And again, you hold yourselves accountable as faculty and kids to those so that people feel like in this building, this is the way we act. Like this is who we are as people in this building. And um, that has to be in place for kids to be able to enter and bring up hard topics and for faculty too. And the next thing I would say is, if we expect kids to bring up hard topics about gender, faith, race, identity, mental health, physical health, family issues, poverty, that, that faculty and staff at the school have to be able to do it themselves. And so when we help a school move toward courageous conversations, we actually start with the staff. We start with the staff talking about their racial identity, their gender identity, their mental and physical health issues. Their, because if they feel like, I don't wanna say that in front of other people, how could they lead kids to have that conversation? 
And those are not easy conversations. At first, people are, are very cautious for good reason not to bear parts of their soul. But I think the more faculty can start and staff can start to trust each other in that, the more they can remember what it feels like and be compassionate leaders of kids to have those conversations. Um, and I think in a Christian school, there is a foundation of faith that can sort of be the foundation for that, that you share, you all share a common belief that allows you to be your full selves with each other and can take away some of the distance between you because differences of gender identity and racial identity and background identity and mental health, some, your faith can transcend those. And I think that can be a place of commonality for all of you in your schools to build that, like we're gonna work to trust each other and be vulnerable in this setting. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is, you just need some really clear rules when you have conversations with kids or adults about vulnerable issues. Like everything is confidential. Nothing you say in this group is gonna be shared otherwise. This is a place of judgment, of non-judgment. So if you're sharing something, Stephen, challenging in your life, my role is not to judge you. My role is to support you and ask you questions and, and, and to make statements personal. Like I, I hear you saying this, I wonder why you're feeling that. I understand that. I don't, I don't understand that. Rather than you sound like you're being this or you're doing that or you're being that, like not, not accusations of what you are, but how I'm feeling about what you said. So personalizing, using I statements when we share those hard things. So it's, it's hard. And we also often say be hard on the topic, but not on the people. So if we're talking about racism, we're, we're gonna be hard on the issue but we're not gonna be hard on each other as individuals when we're trying to figure this stuff out. Hmm. So really hard, deep, hard question. And I hope the video that we show at the end might also help seeing this is what it looks like when people are having those hard conversations. We have some staff examples of that and, and student examples of that. Great. Uh, thank you, Ron. I think uh, what you say about the possibility of that for us in our Christian schools of um, naming and identifying what it means for us to be created in the image of Christ and what are those qualities that we would show in the way we treated one another and the way we, we reacted to the events of the world around us by, by naming those I think we, we, we begin to develop a foundation for every time we get together, let's remember, um, especially in a school where you're constantly, um, you're so busy and, and distracted and it's so easy to step on each other's toes, even in simple ways. I forgot to answer that email. I didn't do this thing I said I was going to do. The, these, these sort of qualities of character are ones that I, I, I kind of see them like the oil that keeps the machine where there's lots of friction, but it keeps it running smoothly without tearing it down. So I think that's a great idea. And in terms of there were other questions we had about like, how do you start developing something like crew in your school? Um, where do you begin? Um, again, I feel like it's a big difference whether you're an elementary or a secondary. And I know there's also K to eight and K to 12 schools here. So it's, but when you're in an elementary school, I don't think it's that hard for teachers to make the transition to having a regular morning and closing crew meeting. Many teachers here may have already started their day with a morning meeting or, or ended their day with a closing meeting. And so, and if you're a second grade teacher, you typically view yourself as 
kids. Like I teach kids, which means when they're crying, I'm dealing with it. When they're sick to their stomach, I'm dealing with it. When they're having trouble getting along with other kids, I'm dealing with it. When you are a high school math teacher, you often don't feel like I'm a teacher of kids. You feel like I'm a teacher of math. And so if you're a teacher of mathematics, why am I asked to be a psychologist and get a group of kids together? And I think that's a big transition, often for subject area teachers on a secondary level, to think, okay, it's not necessarily my strength to group, to get 12 kids together who are adolescents and talk to them about tough issues. But it's also important to remember that I wasn't hired to teach mathematics. I was hired to help kids learn mathematics and they're not gonna learn it well unless they feel like they belong, unless they feel like they have a relationship with me and with others here, unless they feel like they, they can take risks uh, to show their understanding or lack of understanding in math class. So um, reminding us all that we are at our heart teachers of, of human beings, not just teachers of subjects. I also feel like because everyone here is, is, is in a faith-based school, reminding us that there is, a danger in a Christian school to feel like we do our academic learning and then in a different part of the day we do our Christian learning. And I think that's so dangerous because then we can leave school, enter our adult lives and feel like I go to work and I have my family and then the Christian part of me comes out at church. And like that's just not the way to be, right? Like if the Christian part of you is not living every minute in your work life, in your family life, it's not working. And in the same way in a school, the Christian part of every child has to be there in mathematics class, right? In, in social studies class, in reading. Like this has to be a part, and crew is the place where you make those connections for kids. Crew is the part where you say, how are we our best selves when we're in our science classes? How are we our best selves in our history classes? Are we sharing the air well? Are we affirming other kids well? Are we having a social justice vision to the way we talk about this topic? Are we stepping on each other's feelings in that? So blending the, the character and spirit that you bring to the academics that you're learning is a super important thing in a Christian school. And crew is the place where you can have those conversations about who are we as learners and as human beings all day long, not just in the part of the day where we're focusing on being Christian. Ron, while we're waiting for Stephen to reconnect, um, the I can see there's some questions right yes. there I can respond to. Like Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, definitely got some good ones. David Asini's questions, are there best practices around group numbers? Again, I feel very differently about this on an elementary level than on a secondary level. It, typically on an elementary level, uh, David, it, the entire class is the crew. So, you know, 24 second graders are all a crew together. 31 fifth graders are all a crew together. But they're together all day. So they are a crew throughout most of the day. And you can build that sense of crewness with them. At a secondary level, if kids are moving from class to class to class every 45 minutes, it's a very different setting. And I think in that setting, we would suggest that a crew be 10 to 15 kids, maybe 16, 17 maximum. Um, but that it, it, having about a dozen kids is a very different conversation than having 23 kids because you only have that part of your day together as a group. Um, and so if it's possible, you try to free up enough adults in your building so that your ratio can get close to one crew leader to 12 kids 
or 15 kids is what we would aim for. We do um, just actually have a few minutes probably before we would want to go ahead and share that, that video about crucial conversations, which I think a lot of people um, have been really interested in how do we, how do we be to have those courageous conversations in our crew times. Um, so some of the other questions um, from our Q&A, um, there was one originally about um, middle school. In middle school, would you suggest a morning meeting structure and advisory structure? And from what I've heard, Ron, you've been saying, you know, there is no formula to this. There is no, like, it's so contextual. Um, but but looking at middle school in particular, as far as like developmentally, what are some of the structures that you've seen around middle school that you feel like have worked really well? What are some recommendations that you would have for middle school students at that really awkward, awkward, hard, emotional stage for them? Well, you know, I, I feel like, Sarah, middle school is such a crucial issue because kids are going through their initial adolescent sort of recalibrating the world time. Mm -hmm. And I think crew is a perfect place to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, in my youth, there was no crew, of course. And mm -hmm. I went to a regular big public school where issues of puberty and adolescence and emotions and, and dangers that one could hit one when one has no sense as an adolescent would happen like once a week in health class where everyone would just not even try to make eye contact and just not want to listen to anything versus every day in crew having a conversation about the changing feelings you have as an adolescent kid. And how do you manage that? How do you stay a good person? How do you stay a good Christian when you are feeling angry in different ways and upset in different ways, when your own emotions go up and down in so many different ways, when you're physically changing? Like yeah. that's a place to have those conversations and do those lessons. And also adolescence is a perfect time to have a growth mindset conversation to have kids learn that their brains are growing every day and that there's they actually are not limited like they they if if they work harder they're going to get smarter and better at everything um and and showing them the brain science that activating neurons grows neurons like this all is connected can be very empowering of kids when they're 12 13 14 which is really when they need to have some confidence in that so super important time there may be no more time in your life for crew than when you are 13 years old um, and you need some guidance in that. Um, I did want to, to, to address Justin's question about well, what about if kids are cutting crew? What if they're skipping crew? Because it doesn't really count. Well, I'll tell you, Justin, there's not one answer to that either, except to say that in most of the secondary schools that we work with in the EL network, crew is a credit bearing course. So it's every day or almost every day, and you get credit for crew. You you f can fail crew and pass crew. Um, and because it has a formal curriculum around all this work, crew is something that you can't blow off. Now, I, the students in our school would say, if a student is blowing off their crew, if they're cutting crew classes, that crew is going to uh, hold them accountable for that. If if I'm in Sarah's crew and I'm not showing up sometime, the next time I show up, Sarah and Stephen are going to give me a hard time, because it's not just uh, it's not just the teacher, the crew leader holding each student accountable. It's every one of your crew members holding each other accountable to show up and be your best self. But, um, there was a really interesting question about 
well, if everyone, if every crew builds its own sense of closeness and pride in its own crew, how does that differ from cliques? Like, how is it different from having like little subgroups in your school who who break apart the the sense of crew across the whole building because they each have their own little crew? And I, I would say it's really important to remember that crew is not just a meeting structure. It's it's a spirit and culture throughout your building. And all the buildings we have that use individual crew meetings also have whole school crew, community crew, grade level crew. Depending on the school size of the school, either the entire school meets together every week for a school-wide meeting, or a band of school, the six, seven, eights meet together. Or if it's a really big school, just the grade level meets together, all the sixth grades meet together. And I'm sure all of you have community meetings, school-wide meetings in your schools. This is just instantiating that in your school as a regular practice every week um, where people come together and it's still a crew meeting. It's still called crew, but it's a broader sense of crew where the, where the entire school comes together to celebrate. Those are often meetings where public apologies and affirmations and stands are taken. Uh, where student Sarah might get up and say, I want to publicly apologize to Stephen because I was unkind to you yesterday. Or Stephen, as a teacher, might get up and say, I want to publicly apologize to you, Sarah, as my student. I was too hard on you yesterday. Or uh, Sarah might get up and say, I want to make a stand. I think we are not treating younger students in our school well. I don't think we're treating the environment of our school. I don't think we're cleaning up after ourselves. And I'm going to make a, take a stand and make a commitment that I'm going to do this about it right now. I'm going to stand up for what's right in this situation. So it's a place where people can make public affirmations and stances to the school community of how can we be a better community. And so there's a real power in community meetings that are also, in my mind, crew meetings, just larger versions of that. Ron, I really my spirit is just feeling quickened right now with the idea um, kind of linking Justin's concern about, you know, students cutting crew. And I know even the idea of teachers being disconnected to the idea of crew. There was a question earlier about how do you get buy-in, not just from students, but from your school in general. And I just, I feel, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel so strongly that if teachers aren't, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, if they aren't practicing this themselves, um, this can also be come somewhat of a farce, right? Like it's something where you're you're trying to take something that's profound and meaningful. And if you're just checking a box or jumping through a hoop with it, kids know that. And so to be authentic, to be sincere, and to be working with teachers to practice that, teachers first and then students. Like I think a lot of times as a, as a school, we want to implement a curriculum or a schedule or a formula, and we have everybody going into this you know, and without taking the time to really practice it as as adults first, um, then you lose that authenticity and that sincerity, and then it makes it so much harder to regain. What What are your thoughts around that? I absolutely agree, Sarah. This has to start with the adults in the building, building mm -hmm. with each other to understand why trust really matters, why relationships really matter. Um, I, I'll use a specific example. We work with a large comprehensive high school in South Carolina. Um, the principal of that school, Luke Clamp, was in that video, The Power of Crew, for a moment there, the guy with a bow tie. Um, he was national principal of the year, actually, two years ago. That school has um, 2,100 students in it, so it's a big place. Yeah. And they have over 200 staff members. 
So they couldn't get all their staff together in a circle, right? It's it, it's not like some of the schools on this in this conference that are really a little group, right? You can get 27 people together in a circle in your school, but you can't get 227 people. So they built crews of mixture of a crew is might be 20 teachers and and staff members of the school but it might be the school nurse standing next to the ninth grade english teacher standing next to a football coach standing next to an, a principal standing next to a custodian like their crews are a mixture of people who meet together every week and they share issues from their lives and so when they're worried about mental health of their students because you know for high school students mental health is a real challenge I sat in in a crew meeting where they were talking about mental health in their own lives. Did they have ever challenges in their families, the family they grew up in, the family that they're parenting now? Are there mental health challenges that they ever have to grapple with? People were being really open about growing up with mental illness in the, their birth family, in their current family, in their extended family. Like People were being vulnerable with each other, and there's probably not a single person in the room that isn't touched by mental illness in some way. And for them to be able to share about it with their colleagues is a really powerful thing that allowed them to go back to their crews and think, I had that conversation. Uh, it's really important to, to have the trust where you can say, every family is touched by mental illness at some point, in some way. Like This is not something we need to be ashamed of or hide. So uh, modeling that with, with adults is really the best way. Really good. Thank you, Ron. You've been amazing. We are always so blessed by you. Thank you, Sarah, and to everyone. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I invite you to share this with a friend and give us a five-star rating wherever you find your podcast. I also invite you to visit our website at christiandeeperlearning.org. Check out CDL4 the professional development that is available right now for your school staff. CDL4 offers a great opportunity to explore what deeper learning means for your Christian school. Remember this quote from Howard Hendricks, Christian education is like a bomb with a long fuse. It takes a while to go off. <laughs>